Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and today I'm joined by Ray Castaldi, the founder and president of Castaldi Financial Solutions. Thanks for coming on the show, Ray. My pleasure, Amy. So tell us about your story, your journey. How did you get started in our noble profession that we have here? And how did you get to where you are today, all the success you've had? Well, I was in the supermarket industry right out of college, and it just wasn't really my passion. That's when I studied marketing in college. I worked part-time to put myself through college and high school in the supermarket industry. I had an opportunity to work full-time my last semester of my senior year, so I took night classes so I could work during the daytime and got my degree in marketing and so forth, and it just wasn't wasn't my cup of tea and the company I'd worked for closed. So I was kind of hunting around looking for something. And a friend of our families told me that I should go see this guy at the John Hancock office in New London, John Hancock Life Insurance. So that's where I went. So it was a week before I was getting married. The guy gave me a job because he was Italian. I'm Italian. How you doing? So it was, uh, it was a good fit at the time. And I worked with him for about 14 years. Then they closed down the New London office. So one of my financial service professional mentors in the business took me under his wing, showed me how to become an independent businessman. I think you remember him, Hugh Wedigus, way back in the day. He, uh, he was a great mentor, and I valued and trusted his wisdom immensely. And so we went to work for Multifinancial as an independent BD at the time. And they were, a few years later, were bought up by the ING group. ING felt that if they wanted to be in the BD space, they could buy up 10 broker dealers and they were in the BD space. Well, then a few years after that, they started pushing down quotas for product and so forth. And we're like, wasn't what we had looked at and dreamed about for being independent. So you was looking around. And meanwhile, we came down between two broker dealers and you were the lucky winners. <laughs> and we're really happy to be here. Great. So the moral of the story that I'm hearing from you and I've heard from so many financial professionals over the years is most or many stumble into our business somewhat accidentally, but it's always around the fact that whatever they thought they wanted to do the first time around wasn't their passion. I heard the word passion from you and that perhaps for people maybe considering our profession as a career you definitely need to, to be passionate about it, right? You do. You really do. So I know how important it is to you to have a positive relationship with your clients, but share with the audience. I'd love for them to hear it directly from you on not only how important it is to you, but how do you build that positive relationship with your clients? Well, Amy, I think after, you know, when you meet somebody for the first time, whether it's in our business or any place. You go to a family function, you see a cousin or not, you haven't, you don't really know who they are. You're introduced to them and, you know, you try to break the ice a little bit. You try to find out, you know, what they like to talk about, what's, you know, what's their passions. And you try to build a little bit of trust. And I think that's really key in our business is to get to know the person. I haven't been in sales for almost 20 years now. I don't sell anything. I just talk to people, find out what their hot button is, what is it they, you know, keeps them up at night. And if there's a way we can create a solution for them, then we do. And once that happens, they feel like this is great. 
I've got that covered. I can put my head on the pillow at night and go to sleep soundly. Thanks, Ray, for helping us take care of that. And it's a relationship from then on. And it's, you know, back in the, in the sales days when I was with the insurance company, you make a sale, then they're looking for the next sale. And where's the next sale? Where's the next sale? So you're chasing cheese all the time. And I just got tired of chasing cheese. So building the relationships was more important to me and developing those, those family, you know, benefits, you know, going down the road with the different families that I would work with in the insurance industry and then moving into the, the independent space and being my own independent businessman. It's still important for us to create that trust by developing those close relationships. Do you have an actual process that you walk through to decide whether or not it makes sense for you to work with a particular client? I think usually, well, I mean, right now in our business, it's all basically referrals from either some friends of ours, clients of ours, or centers of influence. So it's, we really don't get a lot of walk in the door type of people. So for us, they're already warmed up and ready to go. But for those who are maybe just starting out on the business, you know, you figure out what you like to do. What is your passion? Is it more the financial planning side, doing the research, doing the plans, digging deeper, being the macro manager of their financial puzzle, if you will, trying to make the pieces of the puzzle fit, then I would seek out clients who have financial puzzles that, that really want to be fixed and they're coming to you because they want to do business with you. You know, you get a feel, right, I think in the first hour, an hour and a half that you're meeting with the client, you know, and I've had my share of those and it really wasn't a good fit. And I would tell them, I'd love to work with you, but I don't think it's going to be a good fit. Perhaps you should talk to one of my colleagues down the street. Maybe they could be more helpful for you. I think for some, that is a difficult message. That's a difficult thing to learn. It's really hard, depending on what phase of your career you're in, to get your arms around the fact that sometimes you are better off turning away business, right? Right. Because eventually, I mean, I found in 41 years of the business that those people that you took on, the warm bodies that, you know, when you're young and you're new in the business, you're willing to take anybody and you find out that they leave you a lot quicker than those you've built a relationship with. Absolutely. So you mentioned centers of influence for any of our audience members that are less familiar with that term. Can you delve a little bit deeper into the definition of centers of influence and maybe how you work with them? Sure. I contacted and talked with a number of different attorneys and accountants over the years, developed some really close relationships with three attorneys in town and two accountants. We occasionally share, you know, they'll call at the year end. They need information on such and such a client. Can you give me their, you know, how come you don't consolidate these things? So we get together, we brainstorm a little bit as to how we can further help the client going forward from a tax planning perspective. And then it comes down to the fact that our questionnaire, when we sit down with the client is, do you have legal documents? Do you have a will? Do you have a trust? Do you have your healthcare power of attorney? Do you have your durable power of attorney? And if you don't, we can recommend you for, as part of our concierge services. There's a few attorneys in town that really know their stuff. Here's who you may want to talk to and here's their number. So it's important to develop those relationships early on in the business. And as time goes on and they see that you're genuinely interested in helping the client, they're more willing to maybe give you a referral every now and then. There, it's an extremely important component, uh, in particular, I think, in the independent space. So Absolutely. thank you for thank you for 
expanding on that for us. So we have something here called the Cambridge Foundation, and the mission of that foundation is to be a valued member of our extended community, adding to the quality of life economically and culturally within that community. From your perspective, how important is it to be charitable and volunteer within the local community? I think it's extremely important, especially if you're working in a local community like I am in southwestern Rhode Island. I was you know, always active in emergency services for well over 45 or so years now, being uh, affiliated with the local ambulance corps in town, advanced life support certified, you know, you know, jump-starting hearts and giving, like, you know, intravenous lines and so forth. I gave it up about five years ago, but you meet so many different people, so many different people from all walks of life that just really want to give something back to the community. And that was my way of giving something back, was to be involved in the fire rescue and EMS services. You develop a good rapport with a lot of community people, townspeople, some of your town officials, some of the people that work for the town, the local police departments, local fire and ambulance services. And it becomes more of a big brotherhood. So no matter where I go, if I'm lost, well, now you've got GPS. And <laughs> but back in the day, when you didn't have that, you could stop in at your local firehouse and say, hey, buddy, you know, I, I belong up in Westerly. And, you know, can you tell me where such Joe Shigatz's house is? That's really great. So visibility, does it ever become important to your clients to know how involved and engaged you are in the community? I think so. I think once they know that, uh, you know, I'm involved with the ambulance, they know somebody who's involved in a neighboring fire department. So it's a nice warm up for the clients and they know that you're really trying to offer something back to the community as well. And you get to know an awful lot of people. So what would you say, Ray, are the biggest accomplishments in your life? Tell us about those. Well, my biggest accomplishment was finding my wife. It always is. Always is. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't really date a lot growing up, but I did have certain criteria, if you will. I mean, I think all guys do. And when I met my wife, she I checked all the boxes and she fit right in just fine. And she still puts up with you today. So that's great. 41 years later, she certainly does. I've been with her a week less than I've been in the business. Perfect. That's a celebration every year, isn't you know, it? And we had three beautiful kids. I have two grandkids and one more on the way. So I'm excited about that. And then after that, it was really building the business, going from the corporate structured you know, insurance company employee to running a business. And it's, it, you know, it wasn't easy going through the, the hoops. And no matter which walk of life you come from, whether you come in from the accounting perspective, the wirehouses, the insurance industry, the accounting industry, it doesn't really matter. Nobody hands you that book and, and tells you, here's how to run your business. I know how to sell, or I knew how to sell, but now it's, it's so far removed from sales transactional to more relational business. It just makes more sense to figure out, you know, that Russell high-speed coaching that Cambridge so graciously allowed me to go through. I'm very thankful for that. That was a big eye-opener for me. Really taught me how to look at it from a business perspective as opposed to a sales job perspective. And that's probably one of my biggest, you know, boost of business. And then, you know, besides yourself, having Jim Guy and Dan Sullivan as encouragers, you know, that's, that was really important to me back in the day. You know, Jim was always like, you know, you can do that. You know, Premier Club in Colorado Springs. And, you know, that was one of our favorite places to go to, Sandy and I, when we went to the, the Broadmoor. Awesome place. So as far as my accomplishments, yeah, that, that was 
a lot of them. And then finally, after I gave up all my emergency work, I did study to become a deacon in the Catholic Church. So that was probably the last milestone that I've made. I've been ordained almost eight years now. Congratulations. Thank you. Fantastic. So what do you and Sandy do when you're not working? We ride bikes and she, uh, well, she tore it. She's got a slight tear in her meniscus. So her orthopedic guy said, biking is the best thing for that knee. So as, as often as we can, we take our bikes down to the preserve. We ride around that 0.6 miles of round and round and round about seven, eight, nine times. Then we go off road back down through the Avondale down by the river. And it's really beautiful, really, really nice. And it's, and it's something we enjoy doing together. That's great. And it keeps you young, I would imagine. You think like you must be a dinosaur at this age. <laughs> you don't look like a dinosaur at all. Thank and I'm you very sure, much, but... Amy. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I'm sure the bike riding has something to do with it. I should probably consider taking that up, actually. I hope so. I do try to run at least once or twice a week around the high school track. Do you think? I try to get two and a half miles in, maybe, you know, twice a week. So keeps me young, keeps me healthy, and keeps me moving. Well, and in a business like ours, as complex as it is, especially during um, years mm. like this, yeah. um, it's self-care is important, right? You can't take care Certainly of your clients is. if you're not taking care of yourself first. You betcha. Uh, so on your website, you have definition of your purpose. And a part of that is providing clear direction and building confidence for your clients through education. You know what yes. that is, but I'm telling that to the audience. Uh -huh. um, how do you deliver that education? Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, it depends on uh, what their real concern is. And it might be planning for care later in life. So they're, they're getting ready to transition into retirement. They're getting ready to move their 401k plan into their own personal IRA rollover. And then we, I have a list of questions that I want to discuss with them. And uh, usually one of them is, what are your plans for the third stage of retirement? One might be, uh, the first stage is, you know, the active phase of retirement where you're busy traveling with your spouse or significant other or what have you. And then the second phase is more of a, a relaxed, you know, nonchalant phase. Then the third phase may be the medical phase. Do you have any experience yourself? Do you know anybody that has had some medical issues long into their retirement? And chances are good, it's either one of their parents, their grandparents, somebody that they've known dearly, be in a nursing home, assisted living facility or something. So we get them some education about, here's the different ways you can plan for that. And these are some of the considerations you and your wife might wanna make. Do you do any multi-generational work? I do. The conversation with the client, after they have secured their They've gotten their trust in place. They've gotten their, their wills and their healthcare power attorney and so forth in place. Then we'll have the discussion to bring, bring your children in the next time we meet so we can discuss these are the steps we've taken in your retirement. So we've, we've done the IRA rollover. You're getting an income off of this. Your RMDs every year. You've got your legal documents in place. Here's your plans you talked to us about for your plan for care later on, should that ever come to be. And we want your kids to know this is what your plans are, who's the executor, who's the healthcare power attorney, and so forth. And that way, we, they get to see us, and hopefully the assets will stay with us, because we'll continue now to get an email from the child or the children that they bring in. And as we drip on the parents with our marketing, we drip onto the kids as well. So we keep a top-of-mind awareness with them. 
Yeah, but being proactive like that, I think, is one of the mechanisms anyway that financial professionals can take to make sure that when that wealth transfer happens, they do retain yes. relationships. So that's great. Any advice for people thinking about getting into our business that you've learned along the way? It's a great business because it really is a people business. And if you're a people person and you meet people easily, you don't have any problem, you know, talking face to face, eyeball to eyeball. It's a great, it's a great industry to be involved in because you do so much for those people that you meet because they don't really think about this stuff. They're really busy doing everything they, they need to do to either raise a family, they're out working, they're trying to put food on the table and a roof over their head. And time is a real commodity right now and it's a very small commodity. So, you know, some of the people I work with are professional women in either the medical field or teaching field or the banking field. They're busy, they're really busy people and they don't have time. They've got somebody watching their kids or their kids are in daycare. And when they come home and they're busy, they want to try and cook and take care of the kids. And, you know, all of them are working at home now anyway. So they really need that, that extra helping hand, if you will, to help them with their finances. And it's really crucial that those who may consider getting into the business and the industry that they have a broker dealer like Cambridge, who is committed to integrity, commitment, flexibility, and kindness, because that's our industry. That's what it's all about. You know, and you were a great example of that, Amy, back in 2008 when the markets were crashing and little old me sent an email saying, what about the little guy? What are you doing to help the little guy? And I got a personal phone call from you saying, what can I do? How can we help you? And I still have that voicemail. I love it. Well, I'm glad I picked up the phone. You have been a really, really special member of our Cambridge family for all these years. 18. Congratulations on the incredible honor of being a Spirit of Cambridge winner, Thank for you. sure. For our audience who isn't familiar with that, it's our, you know, the employees basically in our company making some tough calls along the way about some of the special financial professionals. And Ray, you definitely are one of them that honor those I can't believe how easily you just rattled off those core values. So A plus for you. That's beautiful. Thank you. So thank you for sharing yourself with us today. You're a great example of Cambridge Stronger. And I hope to see you in person very soon. I hope so too. And the rest of my Cambridge family, I miss you so much. I can't wait that we do get together again. Amy, thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Take care of yourself. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at cambridgestronger.com. That's cambridgestronger.com.